Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to episode number 14 of the awesome Algo podcast. And today we do have a very special guest from Algorand Inc. and Kenyan, and she is here today to talk about some really exciting upcoming features in Algorand, specifically focusing around how the app development could be improved for, I would say, the benefit of the entire ecosystem, of course. As always, I did my due diligence to prepare for the podcast. I would like to remind the listeners that this is not sponsored by any third parties. It is simply a way to highlight some very prominent builders, founders in the Algorand ecosystem and talk about very exciting tech within the Web3 domain and domain of large distributed public ledgers such as Algorand. And with that, and the floor is yours. I would like to start with a brief introduction. You know, if we could talk a bit about yourself, how did you first discover Algorand and what was your first experience within this domain and perhaps some overlaps with a professional career in product management? Well, thanks for having me, Al. Yeah, I came to Algorand as my first introduction to blockchain. I was... You know, some people at Algorand reached out to me. I, my background, I was working as a product manager in a health tech, like health and wellness tech. But before that, I had been a data engineer. And before that, I studied computer science. And in my master's, I took some cryptography classes and had a very theoretical focused master's. So um, I think my combination of, you know, the technical and theoretical background and my product management experience made me a pretty good fit for this for this ecosystem interesting it is i i would say i i, I know quite a few product management folks and it's certainly an interesting that uh, there's there's often a pattern that people come initially from engineering backgrounds you know getting a lot of exposure and uh, practical experience and then later move on towards product management. Right. S since right. you... If... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think that is a common pattern. If you're an engineer and you start to wonder, okay, but why am I working on this? Or am I sure that I'm working on the most impactful thing? Then you might start to be interested in product management. Yeah. Since you mentioned theoretical background in computer science, uh, just a Minor question that I often ask in, in the biography part of the episode. What was your first programming? Well, the very first was Visual Basic, but <laughs> the first, then I started studying you know, in my undergrad in Java. Java. I see. I see. And maybe just to briefly expand on the biography part, what would you say was the most exciting aspect about Algorand technology that initially sort of sparked your interest. You mentioned that you also started your journey into blockchain development and I suppose this particular right. domain of distributed systems. So what would you say was the main factor that determined this shift in career? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing was when I was interviewing with Algorand, there was a very academic vibe, which, you know, I come from a pretty academic background and family. 
So I feel right at home there. Yeah, I'd say that's the main thing. And like, and along with that, you know, there's academics are often idealists and they strive for excellence. So all that, really, I'd say that that's what swayed me. Yeah. Interesting. So I guess, you know, to sort of shift the focus towards the main topic of of the episode, if we could start with a firstly having an overview of the new capabilities that are coming to Algorand, I suppose the right way to highlight the um, the source where these new features are going to be coming from is the Go Algorand repository that hosts various important aspects of the Algorand consensus, AVM and other features. So what would you say are the, you know, the main upcoming features that folks should be expecting? Yeah. So it's been maybe three months since our last, since the boxes release, the last big consensus upgrade and this upcoming, you know, we've got a lot coming out this next month, probably. The one big thing for developers is going to be a project that allows sharing of resources across the transaction group. And we, I, I won't get into it now, but essentially like the foreign array limits of eight, we're going to help that be less of a problem. A second big thing is in the indexer realm, we're introducing a new tool called Conduit, which will help people run lighter weight data solutions for Algorand. And a third major thing is called Simulate. So this is an, a brand new feature that allows you to sort of run the execution of your transaction group without actually committing it to the blockchain. I see. This is, I would say, on the conduit and the simulate endpoint side, it's certainly something I'm most excited to talk about on the episode. But yeah, let's let's sort of go one by one, you know, so to give the right amount of time to each of those exciting features. Maybe let's start with the foreign array references. You know, how does, I guess, sharing of foreign array references across transaction groups would affect blockchain development in Algorand? Yeah, I would say that this foreign array limit of eight, which, you know, for people who might not be as familiar, right? I mean, I assume the audience is mostly DAP developers, so you probably are familiar with it. All right. When you make an app call, you have to define the foreign accounts, apps, assets that you're going to be interacting with in that app call. And you have to do that, you know, for performance reasons. And that's how, you know, we need to know ahead of time what, what resources you're going to touch from the, the ledger. So this limit is a bit of a problem if you're trying to build a complex application that, that needs to interact with a lot of different apps, a lot of different assets or accounts. People do run into that limit. And I'd say this is one of, perhaps like, uh, one of the final things, limitations that have been getting in the way of like, okay, I, I want to do this and this is preventing me from it. There's no, there's no great way around this. Like maybe you can break up 
your app's functionality to multiple multiple app calls, but that doesn't always work. So yeah, I'm expecting that there's a, a sort of a slew of use cases that people will now be able to do that they previously couldn't because of this this limitation. I see, I see. And what would you say are those main use cases that that in in this particular case will be of the most use for the yeah? Yeah, I think many many complicated examples will make use of this. But I mean, if we just want to talk through an example that, you know, maybe this was the first example that was brought up to me, in fact, is if you want to, you know, there's multiple AMMs on Algorand mm -hmm. and you want to get the, the best rate for your swap. So you, maybe you create another, you know, sort of another smart contract that calls all the AMMs and chooses the one that gives you the best rate. But if it's going to call multiple other AMMs, you know, for each one, you need to have that app IT, you need to have that or maybe a liquidity pool token, and then the two assets, right? So you've already got like two references for the two assets, one for, you know, one for each liquidity pool, one for each app. So that's already six and one for your first app that you actually created, if I'm doing my math right. So you're even just doing it for two AMMs, you're already basically running out of mm -hmm. uh, running out of your foreign array references. So if you wanted to do with three, well, you wouldn't be able to. Does that example make sense? Yeah, 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 certainly. And I guess another thing to ask, looking at more from sort of product management side, how what is the main flow for aggregating? user feedback? Like if we take, for example, foreign array references in this case, is it something that is mostly a matter of listening to, you know, folks opening issues, say on the Go Algorand repository or aggregating it through different sources on forums, Discord, or it's actually something that the team, I think, planned beforehand as, as part of the improvements that they themselves considered important. This one is definitely a to improvement, right? We, we, I don't think we had, we would have thought to do this, you know, right. There are various limitations in the AVM and some, you know, and it was designed like thoughtfully at the beginning, but not every use case had come up yet, you know, and some of these limitations, nobody's ever running into them. They're not a problem. And some of them. Okay, it, when when the you know when the rubber hits the road, okay, this is a problem, and and we've already alleviated some of them, right? Like last year with the number of the like, number of opt-ins per account, for example. So yeah, this one, how do we gather the feedback? It's a lot. Yeah, paying attention on Discord, Slack channels, the DevRel team obviously are constantly talking to developers so they they also funnel like the most crucial feedback to us things that just keep coming up yeah and we we obviously don't respond to every single thing but once it starts to be a pattern what you know if one person asks me for something i say okay thank you like if it makes a lot of sense with our strategy maybe we'll do it 
But then if two or three or five people ask me for it, okay, it's a serious thing. We, we got to deal with it. Our ecosystem is still not that large. So like every piece of feedback is, is pretty meaningful. I see. And maybe as an opportunity for, you know, I'm assuming there will be a lot of folks coming from the engineering background who will be listening to this episode. What would you say is the easiest and the most optimal way for, for folks in the engineering community to provide feedback on features like this, essentially? I, I understand that there, there may be different streams from which this information mm -hmm. is aggregated, but if Inc had a preference over things like that, what would you say is the easiest? Well, GitHub issues to the Goalgorand repository will always get looked at. Not always, you know, the day that they're posted, but, you know, relatively promptly. But other than that, I think Discord is also a really good place. I mean, I'm, I'm available there and the DevRel team are, so... And that's a good place. Discord's a good place because somehow it encourages more discussion for other people to pitch in, whereas GitHub, it feels very formal. Like if you're putting a comment, it's there forever. Mm. So whatever people prefer, but both of those methods are pretty good for getting our attention. Nice. nice. By the way, kudos to Jason uh, Weathersby from DevRel. I saw some of the posts in the Discord with the Kappa.ai integration that uses some OpenAI models and it's it's pretty much yeah very I, I i could imagine it elevates a lot of help for folks like barnji <laughs> who are extra active on discord so uh, very very interesting application i mean there's a lot of issues with language models but question answering on documentation is one aspect where they do quite good work actually so i'm excited to see how you guys will continue improving these things because having sort of on-demand stack overflow for anyone hoping is, is, is right. very important for right. building iterating. I totally agree. And all right, so let's talk so, about, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I guess I didn't really talk about what's the group resource sharing, how it's going to mm. work. Mm. If you want me to say sure, a few sure. words about that. So, right, currently you only, for a certain app call, you only have access to the references that you put in that app calls, you know, foreign arrays. Now with this update, you'll have access across the entire transaction group. So if you have two app calls together in a transaction group, they'll have access to each other's foreign resources. But there's one subtlety, which is that, as you probably know, if you, if you put, you know, Alice as one of the foreign accounts, and then, you know, USDC as one of the foreign assets. Now you have access to information about Alice, information about USDC, and also Alice's USDC balance. Hmm. So that part will only be true for like within your, within your app call. So in other words, if, if you put Alice and USDC together in the same set of foreign arrays, you'll have access to Alice's USTC balance. But if you have, you know, a reference to Alice in transaction one and a reference to USDC in transaction two, you won't have access to that sort of cross-product um, resource. 
I see, I see. And is it something that you foresee as a limitation that potentially could be improved in future as well? Or something I see that... it. I, it's, I don't think it's a real, it's not really a limitation. It's more going to be a source of confusion. Mm. I see. <laughs> so hopefully we'll find that this is the way it had to be designed for, for performance mm -hmm. reasons. Um, so hopefully, you know, we'll find ways at the higher levels to sort of simplify that interface. Because I, I expect that when people start using it, there'll be lots of questions around, around that. Yeah. And one extra thing on the foreign array references before we move on. So I suppose once the, this particular feature is going to be rolled out, what are the main um, ways to interact with it, I suppose, is going to be something available for SDK. And how about some additional, perhaps, utility or helpful functions in things like PyTeal, Beaker, and etc. Right. I don't think that has exactly been figured out yet. And I'm also, to be honest, not exactly sure what the like, I, I don't know if it's just going to happen automatically as of mm. AVM 9 that you just automatically have that access. So there's not really any changes to the interface. Or if there are, I think at least like the ABI is going to require some updates. Mm. I think the ABI I needs some revisiting in general, but some follow-ups to the ABI that include that since now you'll have access to more, more things from different places. But yeah. So let's talk a bit more about simulate endpoints now. Could you explain the benefits and the functionality of endpoints and why simulate over simulated endpoints? <laughs> yes. So simulate came about because we were frustrated with dry run. And when I say we, I mean, you know, everybody. Right, dry run is pretty useful. Well, I think you know, most people listening have probably tried using dry run, or maybe they use it as part of their daily workflow. But it's limited because dry run, it's sort of, you know, it doesn't actually use all the real code from GoAlgorand, like the same, you know, evaluation path. And it, in particular, it doesn't have its own sort of ledger database to track updates to the changes. So that means that dry run can only handle one app call at a time, one transaction at a time. It can simulate, okay, one teal evaluation. But if you have a, a group of transactions, it won't, it won't, and you know, say in transaction one, you're transferring some balances, it's not going to remember that transfer when it's doing transaction two. So. Because a lot of people design their apps with, you know, transaction groups nowadays, not just a single transaction. Dry run isn't good enough. And so this is where the, the whole concept started was, okay, how are we going to solve this situation? Can we improve dry run? Do we need something else? And simulate is what we eventually settled on. And it, it not only sort of solves dry run's problems, it also opens some other use cases for us, which is pretty cool. So, but so conceptually simulate is similar where you, know, you, you submit your transaction group to simulate 
And then it tells you, uh, yes, this transaction group would have been accepted by the network or no, it would not have been accepted by the network. And it gives you some information about like what the error was, whether you were missing any signatures and some other you know, useful information for, for debugging. Make sense so far? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Um, one of the cool things about simulate is that it's so it's it's a it's an endpoint that you call on the algo D. So you know on your mm -hmm. if you're running a node, you can call simulate, and you call it in the same format as you would the transactions endpoint to actually submit your transactions to the network. So you can you know submit your transactions to simulate, see what would happen, and if you're happy with it, submit it to the network. For example. And so does this imply that folks running big public algo explorers are going to have some busy time adding some support for it? Like if, right. if yeah, let's say you're sending it yeah. to AlgoD on, I don't know, Algo Explorer API, basically, would you have an ability to also browse it on some Algo Explorer platform, basically, for, for this case, or it's purely just, you know, a REST endpoint and you, you observe the response? In this case, but explorers like this are not going to support it. But I suppose the app flow, for example, is something that might. But yeah, just curious. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, first of all, simulate is, you know, each node runner can decide whether to support it or not. It's an endpoint that you can turn off because, you know, people could be, they're using it for debugging or whatever. They might make lots of calls to it. And maybe you don't want your node's resources spent on that if you're running it for mainnet, for example, for consensus. Although you can, right, it might be useful to run simulate against mainnet as well, depending on what you need it for. I think that's a great question about should the explorers, if you're using, you know, a node that Explorer is managing, will they want to dis display something about simulate? I think you're right that maybe it'll make sense for, for DAP flow. But yeah, that's up to them. Yeah, I'm sure she, that flow is already having something like that implemented in mind. He's he's always doing some really exciting stuff for smart contract development in that regard. But to continue on this simulate, so would you say that because initially I assumed this this really sort of reminded me a little bit. Algojic as well, because because of the fact that another way to look at it is it it will significantly simplify testing of contracts because alleviating the need to wait for transactions to be finalized and things like that, quick and easy calls to just immediately verify the deal logic. But in this particular case. Are, are you foreseeing any additional infrastructure or like SDKs built on top of it that will also specifically target, let's say, unit testing? Although I'm not sure if in case of simulate, you can call it unit testing, right? Because you will right. have to communicate with the internet. You have to send the call to all. Yeah, let's not get into the <laughs> what kind of testing it is discussion. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> yeah, one way I see people will, I expect people will use simulate that is currently maybe frustrating them 
is if you're you know, using a local network for testing and you have to set up your test, right? You spin up many people for every test, they spin up a new local network using a sandbox or whatever. And then they have to create some accounts, deploy the apps, deploy the assets, opt in the accounts to the apps, the assets, you know, make some initial calls to the apps to set up some global state or whatever state you want to actually mm -hmm. test on. Okay, then finally, when all that's done, okay, you can make the call that you actually want to test. So having to do that for every single test can be, right, it's a bit onerous. Simulate, you could set up a certain state and then you could run a bunch of calls against it using simulate, right? If I, for example, if I'm setting up an auction, right, I put it into a certain state where the auction is in progress and then I can make a bunch of calls, you know, bidding different amounts, maybe amounts that are too low, too high, not high enough because of the minimum bid increment. Or, or make other calls, you know, call every single method, but from the same state. So it's almost like enabling fuzz testing. Not, I mean, I'm speaking outside of my domain of expertise, but that kind of thing, I, I think will be pretty powerful. And yes, we are adding like at least a minimum of SDK support for simulate so that people can call mm -hmm. it from, from their language of choice. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I wonder if Zeph is going to do something with that, with his Graviton project. With Graviton? But yeah, and I guess to move to the final point for the simulate, and yeah, I finally got it why it's simulate, not simulated, <laughs> because you're invoking a functionality that is simulating it. It's not an endpoint that is simulated, essentially. But uh, yeah, it's... I guess because of Algojek, I got a bit confused because initially saw a lot of similarity in, in the premise. Right. I remember talking to Fergal in the fall and I laughed about how we were developing very similar things because there was a need, right? There's a need in, in this area. And so hopefully now, you know, people will have what they need. I mean, we have, we simulate is definitely, you know, it in this first release, it's the base that, you know, sort of, opens up the field for more interesting sort of developer-facing functionality, right? Because we've created this, this way to interact with the evaluator and the ledger that's not actually on the critical path, I mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. nice. So now we could theoretically do things like, okay, you simulate, you know, please evaluate this without checking foreign arrays at all or you know please simulate this without actually without the without the log limitation the limitations on the number of logs i can do um nice. does that make sense like yeah, now yeah. we can start to sort of change the the situation for simulate because simulate right it's only it's only running on the one node so and if you're controlling that node you can do whatever you want with it so why not have it do evaluate it however you want, mm -hmm. if it's useful for your debugging purposes or or whatever. Yeah, certainly makes sense on this. And so con to continue on the uh, features that you mentioned, un unless there's anything else you wanted to add on the simulate. Well, one more comment 
on simulate. One one thing it enables is sort of reading contract state for mm. free. Oh, I mean, yeah. I see. That's that's interesting. Right, because I mean, in any case, you can right get the contract state. I don't know. There's probably some algorithm endpoint, and there's definitely some indexer endpoints to get the contract state, but you won't know what you know, you'll get like a blob, and you won't really know what what's in it, right? The the encoding will be a mystery unless you go and read the teal for that contract or whatever. But using simulate, you could, if the contract has a method that you know says like give me the current price or something. You can call that method using simulate and it'll give you the answer without paying a without paying a fee on the network and without and, needing to decode. And without yeah. any to decode. Oh, okay. That's yeah. yeah, that's that's exactly something that I was looking for for one of the things I was working on. But yeah, the decoding aspect is certainly quite exciting to to try out. All right. So to continue on the on the features you outlined, let's talk about conduit as well. So, what is conduit, and how does it, you know, improve indexer in this case for blockchain? Yeah. So, conduit is, yeah, a new tool that the indexer has been refactored to use conduit. So, conduit is sort of underlying the indexer going forward. And conduit is a response to sort of the indexer. The indexer is a great thing, right? It's an end-to-end tool to get the blockchain data. And and I not all blockchain ecosystems have something like this. So I think it's been a real a real boon for Al for the Algorand ecosystem. But because it's sort of a a also a one size fits all tool, it con indexer has grown pretty large and bulky, right? Then if to run an indexer, you know, uh, your average developer can't necessarily afford to deploy that and maintain it because it, it, it actually gathers like all the history of the data of the blockchain. And that's a lot, even though you might only care about a small part of that. So, so many people instead will use API providers, you know, then PeerStake and Randlabs will run indexers and you can query from them. The other sort of limitation of the indexer uh, is, you know, people will ask, okay, I want, can you please sort the responses of the indexer? Why can't you change the API so that it allows me to sort? And the answer is, well, we, you know, we can't really do that because uh, it'll never be performant on the indexer. Like there's too much data. <laughs> that... So this is why we, we, we thought, okay, we have to re-architect this situation, make something that's a lot more flexible for people to be able to build their own their own data solutions, right? We also don't want to be in, we can't provide the data solutions that every single ecosystem person needs, right? Like Algo Explorer has very different needs than AlgoFi, than, you know, the governance system, or, you know, everybody has, has some different thing going on. So, so yeah, the indexer is built, is architected as like a, a plugin system where you've got you know, an importer plugin and then a filter potentially, or a, a processor plugin, that's what they're called in the middle, 
but the one that I'm expecting people to use right away is the filter one, which allows you to basically throw away data you don't care about. And then an exporter plugin, which lets you put the data in the destination of your choice or throw it away if you want. So people can hopefully use Conduit to, and people have been asking, okay, Postgres, is it scaling very well for me? Can I, can you please, you know, support a different database? Like Cockroach has been one that people have been asking for. So now we could have a Cockroach exporter and people who want to run that configuration can do it. Yeah, so that's the that's the basic idea. Make sense? Certainly, and this actually reminded me a little bit on one of the previous guests I had a while ago, a startup from New Zealand called Subquery, but in their case, they're aiming cross-chain indexer, indexer solutions, basically. I believe they're also support Algorand and had a good collaboration with a few folks in the ecosystem, but... Yeah, it's 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 certainly awesome to a concept sort of applicable, but within indexer domain specifically, and within the domain of Algorand ecosystem specifically. But just to elaborate on the on the architecture that you that you mentioned here on you know on very high level. So if I got it correctly, then conduit is essentially is, is some sort of plugging sidecar on top of index that that developers could configure and the the part in regards to whether you need to run your own indexer or not if, if you could just elaborate on this a little bit let's say maybe taking an example once again could be an yep. easy way to explain yep. it let's say we have um rent gallery that need to and they need to for example show Top ten most, you know, sold NFTs they had on mm-hmm. the platform, and they, they need indexer specifically looking into their own NFTs that were minted on gallery, and they don't want to run indexer completely because it's very expensive, etc. What are the steps essentially to use conduit in this case to have right discussing? Yeah, so there's a lot of options. But I think pretty much everybody will probably use, so the first part of Conduit is the importer, right? Probably everyone will use the AlgoD importer. That's what we're providing to just get the data from Algorand. And then what you do from there is kind of up to you. But the one sort of the simplest, perhaps, approach for people who don't want to deal with, you know, um, changing or want to change as little as possible and just have something that works but is more lightweight than Indexer, would be to use, so the AlgoD importer, and then you add a filter processor, and then you still use the Postgres exporter, the same one that Indexer uses. And the cool thing about that is it allows you to use the same API as the Indexer, so you don't have to build your own API. You can, of course, you know, change it if you want. But then with that filter processor in the middle, it allows you to filter if you're a RAND gallery, you know, and you know what are your app IDs, you can filter to only track transactions that are interacting with your app IDs. So you end up with a much more limited data set. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 certainly. But I guess if 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 Rand Gallery you know wants to do some you know more interesting analytics, then of course you can like you know take the data from Postgres and aggregate it into some new tables and create some additional API if you want to. Like those are those are the options on the table as well. I see. And oh yeah, that there will be an extra question closer to the end of the episode, but. Wanted to also ask about the process for how the projects within Inc are named because I see a little pattern for terminology that is related to physics, There's graviton and now conduit and things like that. But uh, yeah, we can get get to it closer okay. to the end. Um, but yeah, I guess this this also makes sense given the, as you mentioned, very sort of academic approach within Inc and having a very bright minds working on the consensus. So I, I think there's a couple of additional features that we can quickly cover as well, if time allows. Could you also tell us a little bit about new macros in Teal? And I think there's also an information about Docker images that is going to provide. Right. Sure, I'll, I'll keep it brief. But yeah, we are releasing these new macros in Teal, relatively simple macros, nothing too crazy. So this will be, you know, interesting to people who are writing compilers, of which there are many right now trying to, everyone's trying to offer the, a good language for, for Algorand development. So, you know, PyTeal, Tealish, Reach, et cetera, they might make use of macros to make the output, right? Basically macros, you, know, you define, okay, whenever I use this keyword, it's actually these other things. So it's pretty straightforward. But uh, yeah, and anybody still using Teal will also be, be happy. I think there are still some Teal, some Teal users out there. Yeah, and then our Docker containers, I feel like this is a sort of a long overdue. I don't know why we hadn't done it before, but uh, we are, Definitely taking a closer look at the you know node runner experience in general, but the Docker containers are intended both for you know we're thinking about both node runners and you know DApp developers who who need a quick way to set up a local network. And I'd say you know we we released our first official Docker container and we're now taking feedback. We we asked for feedback just last week, I think. So. And and yeah, and all this is moving towards like trying to move towards a, an easier experience there. I mean, there's some, I mean, sort of related, we're also working on configuration profiles. You know, these are small things that just make people's lives easier because we have like, I don't know, more than a hundred, I think, different configuration options when you're setting up a node, which is crazy. I mean, people don't want to have to worry about that. Like they either want to run a participation node or a, a relay node, which reminds me that I totally forgot a big point about Conduit, which is that you no longer have to run an archival AlgoD to run Conduit. I see, I see. Yeah, that, that that's certainly going to alleviate yeah. a lot of configuration tendency, I suppose. 
Regarding Docker images, though, do you think this could also be like one of the first steps for building blocks towards having some sort of, you know, one-click solutions for participation and a big topic of discussions is, is really notes as well? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. What, do you, what does a one-click node mean to you? Well, I suppose speaking specifically about relay nodes in this case, giving various very long threads and forums, folks are talking about decentralization of, of relay nodes. That would be something that is oriented towards folks perhaps coming from, you know, experience some engineering, but not necessarily hardcore development where you got to go over, you know, have a very OS-specific set of commands and going over many manual steps, essentially, to have the configuration. So maybe having some sort of even, I don't know, even like an electron wrapper with a simple, you know, user interface that you download and this runs a Docker Compose in background and then this Docker Compose is what takes care of a lot of manual work for you. And then you just, you know, do some configurations through, through this GUI of some sort and pretty much eliminating those redundant manual steps as much as possible. Because at the end of the day, you know, th this is something that a lot of folks will probably do once per single yep. relay node configurations. I was yep. curious if yep. this is also something that perhaps could serve as, as, as a step towards. Yes, I think it definitely is. And I, awesome. I'm looking forward to us getting there to the one-click node. I think we're all thinking about it this year. Awesome, awesome. All right, and so I know we are approaching the end of the episode. I would like to move on towards some closing thoughts, actually. And since we already covered that part in regards to the, you know, best places for the developer feedback, just wanted to highlight for the listeners once again, but I guess this is primarily towards folks who are working on projects within the Algorand ecosystem. As part of the awesomealgo.com website, there is also a little sub-platform called Ask Amalgo. Sorry, not Ask, but Help Amalgo. And this is basically a single dashboard that aggregates issues that in-premise are contributor-friendly. So for example, if folks working at Inc. on some feature on GoAlgorand, know about a particular issue that is contributor friendly you know it's relatively easy to have a f someone from github to hop in and you know help a little bit they can simply add a tag on that issue saying i'll go help basically and this will appear on, on the platform and then folks can come in there you know and have a brief outlook on what are the features that are not necessarily um, too hard to get your head wrap your head around and and contribute to folks just wanted to outline this as part of that answer yeah. that you've given. But going towards a bit more, you know, high-level questions here, you know, this is, I would say, a very interesting, but at the same time, very challenging time for entire industry in Web3, given a lot of things that happened last year. Um, on the side of, you know, the goals that Algorand Inc. has, 2023, what would you say are the biggest challenges? And firstly, for the 
let's say, on the scope of ink, and then what would what, what you say is the biggest challenge for the entire Web3 space? Boy, I wasn't prepared for this question. <laughs> that's a that's a doozy. <laughs> yeah. We don't need to generalize towards entire Web3 space, you know, but perhaps something that might be interesting to know from the perspective of ink itself. Yeah, I think we're, from my perspective, to be honest, the, I think that like we're starting, like we are offering a, we are offering a really good blockchain. And I, I, so this is all my personal opinions. Okay. But I, I think the challenge is most people don't understand very well what's going on in blockchain, right? They don't understand what the differences are between different blockchains. And I, I think we need to do a much better job of trying to explain that. Um, and I, I don't think we're, you know, we're, we're not, we're not, we haven't been taking it upon ourselves to educate the world about blockchain and the differences between different blockchains. And like, like, why does it matter? Finality of three seconds or whatever, you know, that, I don't think people people grasp it the impact of that um, until they experience it. I mean that that's the easiest example, but but there are more. You know, just earlier today, one of my colleagues was saying how when he was researching blockchains, you know, he and he came upon Algorand. He said you know the the consensus algorithm is so smart and so brilliant, like so much better than the others in terms of its you know the theory behind it. It's so so elegant and. Um, and yeah, it's true, but people don't appreciate that and they don't appreciate the power of it. So I, I honestly think that might be, from my perspective, one of the biggest challenges. And, and I think we need to do a better job with, I don't know, more educational content that's tailored to just normal people normal and normal business owners, you know, who don't have a huge amount of technical knowledge. We can't expect them to dive in and read our whole developer documentation website, for example, right? That's not practical. And then the reality is that if people don't know, don't understand very well, they're just going to go for the most popular options. So we, we have to be explaining it to them in detail. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with your point on this. And um, I'm sure there will be some interesting synergies in between foundation and ink this year because on the foundation side i suppose uh, overlaps with this a lot as well hence to expand on this a little bit i guess maybe within that particular you know educational aspects um you could even go further and you know generalize it for folks coming from two environments you know more more traditional enterprise environments who may have, you know, a bit more, not, not, not more, but way stronger biases than, let's say, a retail consumer that simply don't have time or, you know, understanding of, of, of the tech that is powering things like, like Algorand in this case. But I guess educational here would imply educational for very different domains of, of people, including folks from the Web2 space. Like I often like to say to to friends of mine who do like AI or do, you know, more traditional software engineering, imagine a massive 
decentralized app store or a massive decentralized place that you can use for free and your users are going to pay for it, basically. So I, I guess, yeah, I, I certainly agree for it. Like buying, you know, the terminology for these things is, is, is certainly one of the aspects that can help. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice pitch. I like your pitch, <laughs> your one-liner. And maybe to move on to, sadly, we didn't get a lot of question on the Ask Also Mango. I guess this overlaps a bit as well. I need, I need, uh, maybe I need uh, easier ways to simplify um, what the platform is, is about because there was actually a poll that I made. I was asking folks on, on the chat, how do you guys want to ask questions to guests? And there was options like Google Forms, things like that, or ask questions on the, mm -hmm. on the blockchain. Everyone voted for Ask on the blockchain, but Maybe folks seeing the <laughs> login button when they go on the platform get, get them a bit confused, but I'll try to simplify that experience. A bit. So we got a question on um, on the naming of new features and products. You know, how do folks approach naming, and is it is it up to an engineer to propose, or you guys also have a very academic and scientific you know methodology to <laughs> to come up with something like? That? I mean, does anybody have? A real process around naming. I feel like the process is, you know, someone suggests a name. Often the first name is what sticks. Uh, so you better be careful with what you propose. But if it's really bad, then we, we discuss it. And, uh, you know, everybody throws out ideas until one of them makes the most sense. So I don't know. Not a, nothing crazy there. Why? I wonder if this person likes or dislikes our naming. I think the conduit name was, was my idea. I think. I know it was. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right, then. So I guess with that, we've reached the end of the questions we had for this episode. would like to, you know, thank you for allocating your time for, for, for going over these new features. And perhaps as the closing thought, if you could, if this is already available, if you could provide an approximate timeline for when folks can expect these new awesome things. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I'm expecting things to, you know, in the next month, perhaps, to go to Betanet. And, you know, once they're on Betanet, we want everybody to be using them and giving us feedback before it goes to mainnet. So please, please use them. And with that, I would like to Thank our dear listeners for uh, sticking with us to go over this in-depth overview of the features and stay tuned for more announcements and new guests. Right. Thanks, Al.